0: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. this is week four, we're going to get you out of the habit of just sitting right down, okay? I want you to find, ooh, how should we do it this morning? (laughs) I want you to find the happiest looking person and the saddest looking person you can find and give them a big, Jesus loves you, would you do that? And then give them a high five, howdy, and then grab a seat, go for it. All right, 10-second countdown, get those high fives in, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. (laughs) And grab your seats and grab a Bible. Family, I'll say bless the Lord if you'll say, oh my soul, bless the Lord, bless His holy name. My name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here. Welcome to Clear Creek. And if you're a guest, you have picked a great day to join us because today we begin a brand new seven-week series of talks through this beautiful New Testament book. It's really a letter, but we call it the book or the letter to the Colossians. And so we're going to dive into that here in just a moment. But before we do, just to make sure you get everything out of this series as possible, I want to make sure that you have... One of the Colossian uh, journals. If you do not have one of the Colossian journals, you may have come in a minute after we already handed some of these out. That's okay. Just, would just raise your hand real high. We've got a couple guys back here who will hand about. Just put them up real high. I see some over here, one in the back, a couple across, a few here. Go ahead, just keep your hands up high until they get to you. They'll, they'll come, they'll give you one of these. And as they're passing the, these out, let me tell you what you hold in your hand. This is everything, plus a Bible, that you'll need for the next seven weeks as we gather together as a family. We will go through, use this on Sundays for our teaching time. Uh, we will actually use this on Wednesdays as well, because I'm not just going to teach on Colossians on Sunday. I'm going to get into some of the extra bits on Wednesday nights that we may not be able to do in our gatherings here, so Sundays and Wednesdays. In addition to that, there's a space in here for you to get together with a small group of friends, maybe here at church or in your office or some other place. And, uh, and this is just a great resource. There's a place for you to do what we call Discovery Bible Study. And uh, it's just a real easy way of learning and studying the Bible. And then there's also a daily Monday through Friday Bible study journal that we would invite you to begin going through. It's basically just taking the book of Colossians, I think there's one down here, just uh, go ahead and put, there we go, and, um, <clears throat> and opportunity for you every day to get in God's word and to be in his word with other people. And so here's the way to do it. If you want to know how to do your Bible study, the Discovery Bible study is so very, very simple. You can do it with anyone, anytime, place. And part of that, all you have to remember is just one word. Are you ready? Soap. Everybody say soap. Soap. When you are doing your discovery Bible study, remember the word soap. S is for scripture. Every day when you open God's word, look at the scriptures. Number two, the O is for observation. What do you see or observe? Questions like, what does the text tell you about God? What does the text tell you about humans? The A is application. So, scripture, observation, application. This is the I will statement, because after you read God's Word, it does us no good to read God's Word yet not do what it says. Amen? Some of you are not convinced. Uh, It is not good for us just to read God's Word without doing it. Amen? Amen. All right, very good. And then so S-O-A and the P stands for pray. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Talk to God about what you've read and how you plan to put into practice what He has shown you that day. And if you do that, here's my guarantee. After seven weeks in God's word, if you truly will seek his face, the Bible tells us that he will be found when we seek him with all of our heart. And so I'm going to invite you, take the risk, seek God over the next seven weeks, because I believe if you do, as we go to scripture, we are told in scripture that God's word will not return to him void, meaning whatever he sets it out to do, it will accomplish that. So, Grab this and get into it. Now, I'm going to invite you to turn with me over to page 6 in your journal, give you a little spot there to take some notes. In fact, I've already filled in my notes for today, so uh, I'm going to be preaching from these notes and invite you to jot some things down as we go through it. We're going to begin by reading the introduction to Colossians. This is Colossians chapter 1. We're just going to read two verses this morning and unpack it because there's so much in here. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. You can look at the big electronic Bible behind me, and we'll look at this together. This is what it says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. In these two verses, I want you to see three things. Number one, we're gonna, it tells us the author. Number two, the audience. And number three, the address. Author, audience, address. First, go back one slide here if you don't mind. I want everyone to see this. In verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Okay, church, pop quiz. Who is the author? Paul, Paul, Paul. Who is the author? Paul, Paul, Paul. Who is the author of this little letter? Paul. Congratulations you got to write. Paul is the author to the church, the audience, the church in Colossae. Now you say, why is Paul's name at the beginning of a letter? Because here, you know, when you write a letter, Jim, I'm guessing you, you probably sign it at the end, not at the beginning, right? That's how we all do it. In the ancient world, they would send letters and send um, notes on paper or, 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 or skin, and they would do it as a scroll, so they would roll it up and you would progressively unroll the letter. Now, can you imagine some of Paul's letters that are are very lengthy having to unroll all the way to the very, 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 very end to find out who it's from, just to then roll it all back up to start over? So you put it at the beginning. That's why it's there, okay? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, here's something you need to know. Uh, Some of you grew up thinking that Christ was Jesus' middle name, right? Jesus Christ. Okay, so his middle name was... No, no, no. Christ means Messiah, chosen one, God's anointed. This is not simply a statement. His name is, uh, the name Jesus means God saves, but many people had the name Jesus in the first century. Paul's making a statement, though, when he says Christ. He is saying that this is God's chosen instrument, chosen one to do everything that God has promised to do since before time began. So the author is Paul. Verse 2 To the holy and faithful brothers, notice this, in Christ at Colossae. Now, Colossae was a city, and so the letter here is to the Christians in Colossae, so we call it the letter or the book of Colossians. That's the audience. Author, Paul, audience, Colossian, Christians. Then, notice this, in Christ at Colossae. This is the address. You say address, what do you mean? Um, so we've been in Chattanooga now for about six, seven weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, six weeks. Okay. She keeps up with everything. I just, it, it's great. Um, so we've been in Chattanooga as a family. The Diggs family has been here for six weeks. And, and I remember when we finished sort of packing up the house uh, in Smyrna, Tennessee, right there where we'd lived for about eight years, and we get all of our stuff, put them in pods. And we thought, okay, we're going to move down to Chattanooga. Right now, we've been privileged enough to live with Bob and Carol Golden. We're in the Golden Motel. How many of you, by the way, just show of hands, how many of you have ever stayed at the Goldens? Go ahead, put those hands up. Let's see. We've got... Aubrey, I think we're the only ones here today, basically, who live there. I was told, though, that about half the church had lived at the Golden Motel at one time or another. And we've been so grateful to be able to stay there. It's just been a real privilege uh, but I remember after we moved, the house was under contract in Smyrna. We were, it was about to be sold, and I drove back on the Monday after we moved here, drove back to Nashville to close on the house, and I finished signing all those papers. I had carpal tunnel after I was done because you just keep saying over and over, and I get it done. I drive back to Chattanooga, and I come in to the Golden's house, and I thought I would be cute and funny. And so I said to my wife, "'Sweetheart, congratulations.'" We are now homeless. Yet she didn't think it was funny either. She's like bah. and so 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 right now. So we are somewhat homeless. We do not have a permanent address. In fact, our kids, when we were moving and stuff, they were like, Well well where are we gonna live? And, and where's our where's our home? What you know what what are we gonna do? And we explained to our kids that there is a difference. Between your temporary address and your true address. Or we might put it this way. There's a difference between your temporary address and your permanent home. And we told our children that although the address is changing from 3011 Malton Drive, Smyrna, Tennessee, to some unknown address, you have a home so long as you're with us. And so this morning, I just want to introduce you to our home. Our home is sitting over here on the second to front row. This is our home. Why? Because it's the family that makes a place a home. When I was in college, I was still a Diggs even though my address changed. You are still a Smith or a Jones or a whatever even though you are not at your physical address where your mail goes. Temporary address, permanent home temporary address true home and Paul is wanting to make clear that you are in Christ even though you may be at Colossae you may be at Chattanooga I know it's bad English isn't it you may be in Chattanooga but you if you are a Christ follower then your permanent home is in Jesus Christ but what did it mean to be a Colossian Well, Colossae was a part of the much bigger Roman Empire. In fact, if you want to look at this map here, Rome was, at the time, the greatest, largest superpower of the world. It stretched from Spain all the way into Asia, up into Europe, down into Africa. It spanned all over. It lasted for over 1,500 years. Listen, family. America is a baby compared to the Roman Empire. The Romans, they were the mac daddy back in the day. You say, mac daddy, is that in scripture? No, that's the Josh Diggs version. And so they were the it, they were the stuff. If you were a Roman, here's what it meant. You were a part of the greatest power in the world. This meant that you had some of the greatest prestige in the world. In fact, if you were a Roman citizen, you could appeal to Caesar, the highest authority in the land, if you had need to do so. In fact, that's what Paul does later in his life. If you were a Roman, you got justice. If you were a Roman, there were certain punishments that you could not receive. If you were a Roman, life was good. And if you were a Roman, you put your hope in Rome. But Paul comes along and he says, I want you to understand, your address may be Colossae, but that's not your true home. Your true home is in Christ Jesus. And I just want to give you three things of what this means. If your address, if your home, if your place is in Christ, it means three things. Number one, it means that you get a new identity this is what he says in this passage. Notice in verse 2 he says, "...to the saints." You say, saints, didn't we just read the word holy? Yes, it's the same word in Greek. Hagios. Everyone say, hagios. hagios. It sounds like you're hocking something. Hagios. Okay, so Hagios. It means holy. It can also be translated saint. So in fact, would you just turn to someone next to you and just say, you are looking so saintly this morning. Go ahead. Just make them feel really good about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You say, now wait a minute, I don't feel particularly saintly. If you knew what I had done this past week, month, or year, you would not call me a saint. In fact, here's the reason we we see this word and it almost makes us uncomfortable to think of ourselves as saints. It's because we have a Roman Catholic view of saints. Now I have many friends who are Catholics, they're good people. But I'll tell you, there's this view that cropped up many centuries ago. It started off that to be saint, uh, someone who was saint, simply meant that you were martyred or killed for your faith. And that's a fine thing. But over the years, they built up this system, this idea of what it means to be a saint and how you become a saint. In fact, back in March when I was uh, on a mission trip with a group, One of my best buddies, a guy named uh, Jose Nieto, everyone calls him Goyo because his uh, middle name is Gregorio. Of course, in the South, it's not Goyo. Everyone calls him Goyo, which is great because he was sort of our outreach guy. And so we'd say Goyo into all the world, making disciples. And and it was great. So Goyo and I were talking. We came before this huge basilica, this Catholic church. It was amazing. And, And they had all these saints in the church. And he grew up Catholic. And I said, so hey, clue me in. How do you become a saint in the Catholic church? And he goes, man, it is a process. I said, so what, what is it? He said, well, well, step one, you got to be Catholic. So if you want to be a saint, leave, go out of here, go to a Catholic church. That's number one. Number two, if you want to be sainted, you have to die. So get onto that quickly. If you want to be sainted, just die. Okay. Number three, though... When you die, you need to have been such a good person that local devotion to you in the area, maybe the city, people start to talk about you and they put gifts at the death burial site or where you were or they start to light candles in your name. And then after that, if you're like, if that happens, then they will send a special guy down, probably from the Vatican or someplace. He's got a funny hat, big beard and a clipboard and he'll begin to open an investigation into your life. And then the people, if you're to be, A saint, the people will begin to pray that you, through you, a miracle will happen. Now this makes me a little nervous, I'll just be frank with you. And then if a miracle should happen, that same guy comes down, checks to make sure it's a legit miracle, and if it's a legitimate miracle, he then says, okay, well, you're well on your way to being a saint, but you're not yet a saint. You are just blessed. Sort of JV, you know, not really varsity, but you're sort of getting there. And so you're now blessed. He goes back and now the people start to pray for a second miracle in your name. And if another miracle happens and then the guy with a funny hat, big beard, clipboard comes back and if he proves that yes, another miracle was done in your name, then congratulations, bazinga, you are now a saint. But what does Paul say it takes to be a saint? One word, Jesus. Jesus. For you to be a saint, you have put your trust in Jesus. It is not about what you do; it is about what He did. And He says, "You get a new identity," and you say, "Well, yeah, but God, you know what I've done? I I feel more like a sinner than a saint." He goes, "Yeah, I know, but I'm still going to call you a saint." But, 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 you know, I, I haven't achieved that status. He goes, I know you haven't, but it's just something you now get to receive. He gives you a new identity. By the way, family, just real quick, I want you to think for a moment here. Where else in life do you get a status simply by who you are and not what you've done? In our workforce, do you get your job just because you're a good person, a nice guy? No. No, if you don't work, what happens? We are downsizing your particular department. Well, it's not us, it's you. It's, we're going to get rid of you. You lose your job. What about in school? Is it based on your good looks that you get good grades? Well, it shouldn't be. No, you get A's because you work hard because you've achieved. You get F's, see you later. Best 14 years of fourth grade, you know? But in Christ, you receive a status, an identity that you don't earn, that I don't earn. In fact, can I just tell you something, family? If you are in Christ, then right now, where you are on this earth, this is as close to hell as you will ever be. This is as bad as it will ever get right here if you're in Christ. If you are not in Christ, then this earth right here is as good as it will ever be. This is why you need Jesus. Jesus. He gives us a new identity. Number two, he doesn't just give us a new identity, he gives us a new destiny. And notice what he says here, not only to the holy ones or to the saints, he calls them the faithful. Now this word faithful, he's not talking about what you believe, he's talking about what you do. He's not talking about belief systems, but behaviors, and he says you are faithful. Now quick question, do you think the Colossians were perfectly faithful in everything that they did from the moment of their salvation onward? Nope. In fact, Paul himself in Romans chapter 7 will say, I keep on doing the things I don't want to do. And yet Paul calls them faithful, not faithless. Hear me now. He is not simply calling them to who they are. He is calling them according to who they will be in Christ. Because there will come a day, friend, when that besetting sin, that struggle, that thing you face day in and day out that you hang on for dear life today, there will come a day where the faithfulness of God will change you so completely you'll step into the other life and you will be perfect over there in ways that you and I cannot be here. He says, look, the destiny that you and I are going to is not simply one of eternal boredom or eternal sitting around, but you will be in this place where you are perfectly faithful to God in every way. Listen, this is such good news. It means that there's coming a day where the things that you and I struggle with here on earth, we will never again struggle in heaven. One of my dear friends in Nashville, I got a call this week um, from... Actually, it was a counseling center. They said, hey, do you know this particular individual? And they said, um, we, we heard about him and, and, and something about him. You know, he's wanting to come in because he's got an alcohol issue and he's fallen off the wagon more times than I can remember. And I called him afterwards and he was just sobbing over the phone. And he goes, Josh, I don't know what to do. And I said, remember who you are in Christ. And yeah, you're going to be struggling with this. I get that but hang in there because there's coming a day where this is not who you will be anymore. Paul gives us a new identity, a new destiny, and finally in verse two, at the very end, he gives us a new family. Notice how he ends this passage. He says, grace and peace to you from God, our, what's that word, family? What's that word? Father. This truly is one of those who's your daddy moments, right? There was a moment about two years ago, both my kids, they, they thought they would try out some different names for dad. One of those that they finally tried out was not dad, pops, daddy or cool dude, or something like that. Rather, it was, and in fact, my son's sitting over here, and he probably remembers this. When we were talking, he said, he thought he'd try this one out. He came up and said, hey, Joshua. We are in the South, family. You understand what goes on from there. So I said, what'd you say? He goes, hey, Joshua. And I gave him the look. You guys know the look, right? How many of you parents have mastered the look? Can I just see some hands? How many of you kids know that your parents have mastered the look? Can I get some hands? We've got grown people raising their hands right now as well. Like my, grand, my daddy, he's 95, but man, that eyeball comes out. And you go, (laughs) I gave him the look. I said, son, that may be my name, but it's not what you call me. And then it hit me, I thought, wait, 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 that's not the right tact. I said, son, I said, listen, listen. Yes, that is my name. Yes, my name is Joshua. But listen, everyone in the world gets to call me Joshua. But there are only two people in this entire world who get to call me Daddy. You and your sister. And if you want to keep being able to call me Daddy, no, no, I didn't go there. (laughs) But hear me now, listen, listen. You and I get to call God not God, not simply all-powerful one, although he is, amen, church? We don't simply call him the righteous one, although he is that, amen, church? We don't just get to call him the chosen, the righteous, the powerful, the holy one. We get to call him God the Father. And you get to crawl up into his lap any moment you need to. In fact, you get to cry out to him and say, Daddy, I don't know what to do. This morning about 5 a.m., our daughter starts to sniff. She's got some allergies and it always hits in the middle of the night. It just seems really bad precarious and challenging she wakes up and she just, and we're like Whoa. let me just tell you because she is my daughter who do you think got up to go see her my wife and so but the point is the point is none of you came to get her up did you no because she's not yours She's ours. That means when she calls out, cries out, even before she knows the words to speak, when we just hear that she needs help, we respond because we are family. And when you are in Christ, God is your father, Jesus is your brother, and notice throughout the passage he's making the statement, our brother, our brother, our brother, we get a family as well. By the way, this, this changes how we interact with each other, doesn't it? We now treat each other not as enemies, but as family members. And oh yeah, there's going to be moments where we get into arguments and fights, but we're still family. I remember when I was very young, about nine years old, excuse me, seven years old, my youngest sister Mary was about to be born. Now listen, I am one of now three or one of four kids, three sisters. I mean, like no dudes in the house at all. And I've got the best sisters in the world, but it's still sisters. And mom and dad were getting ready, and, and, and mom was almost delivery time. And I remember just sobbing, saying, Mama, mama, we've got the perfect family now. Please, just, just don't let her come out. Please just keep her in there. And I didn't really understand biology at the time. But it was not my choice who was in our family because it was mom and daddy who chose who were in our family. Understand, it is God the Father who chooses who's in our family. And it's our responsibility to say, if you love Jesus and you have been born again in him, welcome to the family of God. Because this is what Jesus does. He gives us family. He gives you a new identity, a new destiny, a new family. And you say, but I didn't earn it. Exactly. In fact, you say, how do I get this? Notice what it says in verse two. Grace to you. Grace to you. You say, what is grace? Is it some girl in high school? No, that's not grace. Grace means gift. That's what the word means, gift. How do you get a gift? We've said this before. It is given to you. You cannot earn it. If you earn it, it is a wage, not a gift. You say, well, I buy myself gifts all the time. In fact, when I'm ready, I just go out and buy myself a gift and say, oh, happy birthday to me. That is not a gift because you paid for it. You go, no, actually, it's my so-and-so's credit card. Okay, we'll talk later. That's called stealing, but that's another story, okay? Grace is from outside. It is a gift that you and I cannot earn, family. This is what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. Where Christ came, he died on the cross. He took our place. And on this cross, he then gave you and I his righteousness. Our shame for his righteousness. And so God the Father says, listen, I don't care where you live. You may live in Soddy Daisy, but if you're in Christ, that's your real address. I don't care where you live. You may live in Hickson, but if you are in Christ, then your true address is in Christ. You say, well, you know, if, if well, what about this thing? I'm going through this place. This? If you are in Christ, then that is your real address. Real quick question. We're going to call it a morning. Here it is. Are you ready? If this is all true, where is your home, family? Where is your home? If your home is any place other than for in Christ, do you understand that you can lose it because it's in this world? But because Christ is not bound by this world, this world can never take him away from you. So we're going to end there this morning as we begin this book.